Welcome to the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Hey everybody, it's another episode of Reporter, the podcast that delves into the minds and lives of broadcast news reporters and anchors, delivering a behind-the-scenes look at their careers, methods, best practices, and personal stories from the trenches of journalism. And today we have a very special guest, uh, my friend Chris Van Cleve, who is a national reporter for CBS News. And uh, I'll give a little bit of a quick biography for Chris, which comes from cbsnews.com. Chris Van Cleve was appointed CBS News Transportation Correspondent in September of 2015 and is based in Washington, D.C. He previously served as a correspondent for CBS NewsPath, the network's 24-hour television news gathering service. Uh, Chris joined CBS News in 2014. He's covered a lot of breaking news stories, including the deadly derailment of Amtrak uh, Train 188, the Boston Marathon bombing trial, and the crash of German Wings 9525. Um, so we could go on and on about Chris's background, but essentially he served for many years as a reporter and anchor at WJLA in D.C., um, also covered many big stories there, including the Virginia Tech massacre, among many others. Um, and prior to D.C., he worked in San Diego, also Colorado Springs and got his start as the producer of KTLA's nationally syndicated Cyber Guy Report. All right, so that's enough for now on Chris's background. It's a very illustrious career so far. Um, Chris, thanks for making the time to come on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited for this. Um, Whenever I launched this podcast, I kind of um, had had visions, to be honest, of um, talking to um, some of my, quote, journalism friends, who you know have really carved out pretty illustrious careers, in my opinion, um, at a young age, which and, and you fall into that category. So Chris and I met, um, like many of my um, quote journalism friends who've, who've been quite successful at a uh, IRE conference, um, investigative reporters and editors. That's where I met uh, Noah Pransky, Gio Benitez, etc. Um, so that was 2012 in Boston, um, and at that time you were at WJLA. Is that right? That's right. Okay. So, I mean, look, one thing I think that a lot of listeners of this podcast, I mean, I don't, you know, have a full profile of, of who's listening and it's a growing podcast. It's, it's still pretty, it's pretty small right now, but um, you know, I, I assume that a lot of uh, younger reporters listen to this. Um, so I, I think a big question and something I picked your brain about at one point was, you know, as much as you're able to tell, how did you how did you land a job uh, on the national news? Well, it was 20 years of hard work. Um, you know, it for me, it wasn't something that happened overnight. I spent a long time in local news, and when I got to the network, I was really grateful I had spent all of that time. Um, you know, I got I was very fortunate that early on I, I had some opportunities that. Uh, a lot of people don't get. I was an intern uh, first at ABC's LA Bureau, and then going into the summer of my freshman year, um, so I would have been a, a rising sophomore, I think they call it now, um, one of my professors said, I've, I've arranged an internship for you at KTLA. Uh, Terry Anzer, she was the anchor of the news at 10 and a USC professor, University of Southern California, fight on. Um, <laughs> you're going to intern with Kurt, the cyber guy. Uh, and I remember saying, well, I want to do news. Why would I, why would I want to spend the summer doing computer stuff? And she looked at me and she said, he's going to give you opportunities. You're going to get uh, to work on 
you're on cameras with an, a photographer, you're going to get to do a lot. And then she looked at me, she's like, and because I said so. <laughs> and I had learned you don't argue with Terry Anther. And as it turned out, I interned at KTLA for longer than uh, planned. I was there almost a year as an intern and got hired as Kurt's producer. So here I am now going the summer after my sophomore year, now a producer in Los Angeles. And six months later, we've somehow ended up putting Kurt on all of the Tribune stations, uh, KTLA sister stations at the time, which included stations in New York and Chicago and Seattle and Denver, Indianapolis. Hartford, um, Connecticut. Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, you know, so we, we were, very, we just sort of did it. And, uh, you know, six months into this job, I'm now producing for uh, a whole bunch of stations across the country. We're doing six, six inserts a week, three packages and three like sort of series of tracked VOs um, and, and producing all of those stories, doing most of the interviews, doing a lot of the writing while going to school full time. So one of the things that helped me, I think, is that I was a producer first. I learned how to work, um, how to build a story and how to work with reporters. So, and I also, because I was working with a reporter, um, saw how the, other how the other folks involved in the process, the producers, the cameramen, the editors, uh, responded to talent. And I think that made, I think that has helped make me a more successful reporter, certainly a more self-sufficient one. Um, and I think that's important. So from there at KTLA, I was very fortunate again that I, I had a lot of people there that were rooting for me. And um, after 9-11 happened, my uh, pause, pause EP. Pause for one second. How old were you when you, so you're, you're, you're this, when you got hired as the, uh, the full-time producer, how old were you? I was about 21. I was, uh, I got hired as Kurt's producer. Um, when I was before, just before my junior year. So the start of my, uh, at the end of my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year, somewhere in that window. Okay. okay. Um, so I would have been about 21. Okay. Okay. So then 9-11 um, the occurs. 9-11 happened my senior year of college at SC. And I remember saying to my executive producer, I of course worked that whole day and most of us worked the next day. And on Thursday of that week, uh, classes resumed. and one of my executive producers rules, Marsha Brandwin, uh, one of her rules was that I was not to miss class for work. So I worked my normal early morning shift and left about 8.30, 9 o'clock because I was producing the student newscast. Uh, I was in the producing class that day and needed to be there and then had a film class after. And the next morning, I mentioned to, to Marsha that, you know, one of the things that I thought was unusual or I didn't expect was as we were in this film class, some people were lamenting that like the news coverage was still going all the time and asking when are things going to get back to normal. And of course, 9-11 sort of changed the definition of normal, I think, for a lot of people. And right. I, I remember Marsha looking at me and saying, you know what, you graduate in May, right? I said, yeah. She's like, and you're going to need a tape, right? I said, yeah. She's like, well, we're going to need somebody to cover how young people are responding to this. And she commissioned uh, a number of pieces for me to front, for me to do, for me to report out uh, that aired on KTLA. And, um, and then our San Diego station, uh, I had the opportunity to, to fill in report once in a while on weekends down there. Uh, so I was very, this is a very long answer to how I got started, but 
I got very lucky that when it came time, when I graduated and it came time to, to leave KTLA to go be a reporter full time, that I had not only the USC college experience, which they, you know, they had, a, had a nightly live to, at the time, live to tape. It's now live to live uh, student newscast and a weekly news magazine show. I had that opportunity and I had this professional opportunity and had some of my own reporting that I could put on a tape. Um, and that really set me up to get my first job which was in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I was at the NBC station there. I was the military reporter. Uh, that's where what the uh, Air Force Academy is located? There are five military bases there, including the Air Force Academy, Fort Carson, Peterson Air Force Base, uh, Cheyenne Mountain. You've, you've wow. seen it in the movie War Games and NORAD. Um, and I was the military beat reporter. We had already, post 9-11, they started the war in Afghanistan. I was there just as Iraq was firing up. The Air Force Academy was... Uh, experiencing a sexual assault scandal. Uh, about six months into the job, I became the military beat reporter. And um, I learned how to work a beat. And that was fantastic. Uh, it was a tough beat to cover. It was one that was vitally important to that community because the military was such a huge part of it. And we were the dominant number one station. So that community was watching. Um, but it was, a, it was a great exercise in learning how to be a beat reporter. Things that I learned there that I then filed away for 10 years plus started to become very handy again when I became a beat reporter at CBS. Um, I went to San Diego for two years, worked at the what was then the Fox station. They were only a couple of years old, XETV. And that was a very free-ranging news operation that knew they couldn't out-resource some of the bigger stations in that market. So they tried to be the alternative show of record and do different do pieces the other people weren't doing tell stories in ways other people weren't telling them. And I had more freedom with w developing my storytelling skills there than anywhere I've ever worked. So when I got hired in Washington, um, you know, I think I had, I had gotten a lot of live experience. I'd gotten some cool packaging experience between um, San Diego and Colorado. And then here I came to this big major market, this ABC owned and op this ABC, not owned and operated, but this ABC affiliate, family owned ABC affiliate, WJLA. And at the time was one of the youngest reporters in the market. And, you know, really sort of had to prove that I could do the job and belong there. But once I, once, you know, I sort of hit my stride, it, it turned out that um, I was able to take the things that I learned and implement them and continue to grow. It became the investigative, the consumer investigative reporter at WJLA which I never planned on becoming an investigative reporter or never planned to be a, a DC person, frankly. Uh, my goal was to always stay in Southern California. Um, so by the time I got to the network, you know, I, I had I'd built a pretty varied background and I think that really helped. And the, the, five, the, the five years as the investigative reporter in, at Channel 7 here in Washington, um, I think really gave me the sort of the grounding and, you know, the, the professional, I, I want to say like helped me grow up in a way, uh, although there's probably a more articulate way to say that. Um, so that when I got the opportunity at CBS, I was really ready to hit the ground running. Um, and, and I think for a young reporter, the things that are by far the most important are learning how to write, know how to write, know how to tell me a story. Um, and, and I think no, the best advice I was given, and this was from Marsha Branwen, uh, my EP at KTLA, she told me before I left K 
KTLA. She said, one, if you become just another reporter who's basically a mic holder, who's there to be a mic stand and just talk, I'll haunt you from the grave. Instead, I want you to be the reporter who knocks on one more door and makes one more call. And those two things, learn how to write, learn how to tell stories, and be the one who makes that, that extra effort. Those are the two best things I think a young reporter can do. Because when you, you get to the, the, the bigger markets, the reporters that hustle, the reporters that break the news, the reporters that find stories that other people don't have, they're the ones that stand out. And the ones that can take those ideas, put them into a voice that's, that's authentic and interesting, they're the ones who are memorable. And that's how you, I think, that's how you succeed in television now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the thing about the, I mean, the writing is absolutely important. And you hear that a lot from um, reporters who've been quite successful. And it's just, it's just kind of a no brainer, but uh, unfortunately often, often overlooked um, because it's just like an unsexy fundamental. And then I love the thing about knocking on the door, you know, the, the one extra time I, I tried to do that in my reporting career. I really prided myself on that, even when it was, it's not always fun. You know, there were times where people would be the, the uh, competitors are sitting in their live truck, you know, eating their lunch or whatever, Chipotle or something, and it's raining out. And, you know, I'm telling the, the photographer who's essentially angry with me, yeah, we're, we're going to go ahead and knock on as many more doors as it takes, you know, to get this interview. Um, so, you know, and, and I'm sure you've done that a million times in, in different varieties of, of ways, but uh, great advice. So you got to WJLA, you were there seven or eight years. You, did you, so did you ever have the opportunity eight to years. go eight years? Okay. Did you ever have the opportunity to go the route of, of anchoring or, or, you know, how much did you anchor and did you ever consider trying to make a push to, you know, be an, you know, a, a full fledged anchor? Yeah. So I wanted to pick up one thing that you had said about the knocking on the doors and making one more call. Yeah. That can sometimes be as simple as, you know, you're doing a story about animal sightings in a neighborhood. Well, go and dig up some stat about how that is changing. Some, some city agency is going to track calls on wildlife sightings, um, or there's going to be some kind of, there's been research done, there'll be something. Give me something that no one else has that day. And, and sometimes it's that one more interview. Sometimes it's that one more call. Sometimes it's taken the extra 15 minutes to go find me a, a nugget, something that makes your story stand out. Um, right. And so it isn't just standing in the rain, although you know, I think we, we both did that many more times than we wanted to. Um, it can be just thinking about how can I tell this or what's the one thing that's missing here, that one extra step that makes my story the one people remember tomorrow. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's something that, you know, when, when you're a reporter in your first job, you're just trying to make, make slot and not miss, uh, not miss your hit time and get everything done. And, and somewhere along the way, six, eight months in there that you start to get that, uh, you get comfortable with that. Well, that's when you start to apply, that's when you should start to apply that next challenge of how do I go one step further? Sure. I mean, that's something I've, you know, I haven't watched a, a ton of your reporting, but from what I've watched, I've, that's something I've always appreciated that I would say that you sort of, you know, it's clear that you, you're very well researched um, and, and always have something that stands out and is different in, in the report as much as possible. And I would say you kind of like color outside the lines to some extent in a good way, you know, that, that sort of leads to a masterpiece. Um, whereas I've seen people who, you know, try to stay in between the lines and it, it yields kind of the same old thing, which, you know, it could be solid, but it's not going to wow you. So I've, I've admired that. So one thing I want to ask is then, um, 
how did you overcome, you, you know, there's this, ter- oh, what was that? Well, so you asked about, you asked about anchoring. I can give you the quick oh, answer Oh, yeah, yeah, on that. yeah, yeah, the anchoring. If you right. want. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I anchored a little bit in Washington about, a, about a, my last year, year and a half at WJLA. I was anchoring the 6 p.m. hour on our 24-hour cable channel, News Channel 8. Um, you know, I think for me, I like being where things are happening. Um, and I, I, had a, I had a long talk with Brian Williams, the, the NBC anchor, who, as a pure broadcaster, is, is a phenomenal anchor. Um, he, he always viewed anchoring as just reporting, sitting down. Um, anchoring is a great set of skills. It's completely different than being a, a reporter uh, in sort of like the technique. And in that regard, I liked it because it was stretching, it was stretching and building skills that you don't use every day. Mm-hmm. But I like being where things are happening. I like being in the middle of stuff. I like gathering the information. I like getting out of the building. So, you know, anchoring what wasn't my passion um, as a reporter who was looking to, to, to move up and grow. So uh, I, I've been grateful for the opportunities that I, I've gotten to do it both uh, at WJLA and uh, a little bit at, at CBS News and at CBSN, our digital streaming channel. Um, and it's, it's great experience, but I, I like being where things are happening. You know, I think the best part of being a reporter is being in the middle of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I hear you. Um, what about, I mean, so, so getting that start at such a young age, you know, you're in the KTLA newsroom and you're literally still in college and they hire you. And then, you know, at, at other points in your career, whenever, okay, you get hired in Colorado Springs. And even then you were probably, you know, under 25 or, or quite young, um, mm-hmm. By comparison to some other reporters, then you end up in San Diego, you know, which is a fairly large market, and, and you're still on the younger side. And of course, DC, um, a top ten market, and you said you were one of the youngest in the newsroom. Um, you know, how did you deal with? You know, I at one point in my life learned that there was this term called imposter syndrome, and I was like, oh yeah, that's that's what I'm feeling. Um, you know, this thing where you sort of doubt yourself, or you think, ah, you know, maybe maybe the haters are right, maybe I am too young, and you know, I've definitely been in that position where I'm like one of the, young, felt like I was one of the youngest in the newsroom. Um, and I knew I could do it, but I, you know, I had this creeping doubt of like, can I, or, you know, that sort of thing. So how, how did you, uh, in your lifetime deal with that? You know, I don't remember doubting whether or not I, I could do it. I think at KTLA, I was so young. I just didn't know that I couldn't or that this was unusual. Uh, I liked the work. Uh, Kurt, uh, the reporter I worked with, Kurt Knutson, cyber guy, uh, you know, was very generous to kind of like give me the ball and let me run. And if I, if I fell down that day, he told me to get up and, you know, don't trip over yourself the same way again. Um, so I didn't think about, you know, do I deserve to be here or, 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 you know, am I too young to do it? Uh, at that point we just sort of did it. And Mm -hmm. It, things just it kept happening, and then it was okay. Well, how do we manage this? And so we figured out a system to to get the pieces to where they needed to go, and and produce enough content so we we could get it on the air. And um, they were long days, but I was really excited about it. So I didn't really mind the I'm going to work a full time day and then go to class and then sleep a few hours and then do it again because I was suddenly getting to do all the things that we were talking about doing in class that I really wanted to do. Had you wanted to be in news since you were a child? Well, somewhere along the way, it became clear that I could not hit a curveball. <laughs> so the, the professional baseball career just wasn't going to happen for me. And um, I was 
I was really interested in sports broadcasting for a while and a couple of things happened. We, we moved a lot. We moved to Los Angeles and uh, a family friend of ours, a friend of my godmother's was the state democratic party chairman, Bill Press, who did commentary on KCOP TV in Los Angeles. And in like eighth grade, I had to do a project on an industry that I was interested in. And so I was interested in broadcasting. Um, my godmother arranged it so that I could go hang out with Bill for a day and talk to Bill. And Bill was like, you know, who you really need to meet is Ross Becker, our anchor. And Ross was out of town that day. But um, long story short, Ross became my mentor. And here I am in eighth grade, and he's inviting me down to the TV station to watch how it comes together. Um, when I started high school, he's like, well, you got to go work for the student paper. And I said, well, it's a little, it's a little private school. It doesn't have a student newspaper. And there was a pause and Ross goes, well, then I guess we're starting one. Hmm. And for the next four years, Ross, who is an anchor in Los Angeles, uh, devoted part of his day to helping me learn how to run a high school newspaper. Wow. Um, and he has been a friend and mentor ever since. So, you know, you, you know, I, I guess I, I just, I didn't have the thought of like, I can't do this because I had people around me telling, I telling me I could and people that were there to like help and mentor me to do it. Right. Um, Colorado Springs, it was, a, it was a pretty young newsroom. I mean, a lot of folks had had one other job, but not all of them. Um, but certainly when I got to Washington, I was considerably younger than almost everyone else in my newsroom. That has changed over the years. But at that point, uh, I did have to prove it. And there were some reporters in that newsroom who lamented the fact they were hiring somebody as young and quote unquote inexperienced as me. Um, And, you know, I approached that the same way I approached covering the military where you're, uh, you know, where I'm, where I at 23 and, uh, and on camera looked to be all of like 12 was holding colonels and generals accountable for things. Mm -hmm. Um, You do it by, you know, knowing your facts and knowing the context and getting things right. And over time, I found that those that, that you know, these three and four star generals uh, treated me like any other reporter that was going to show up because they knew day in and day out. I was the one who was uh, who was covering their 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 soldiers, their airmen and who was getting getting stuff right and was getting was breaking stories and, and doing all of that. And. I think that's sort of how you do it. You, you do it by getting, getting it right and, and just kind of pushing forward. And also being cognizant of the things you don't know. Um, and I think it goes a long way when, you're, when you acknowledge that there are things you don't know. Like I still don't, would never claim to know it all. Um, and that, that like acknowledging that somebody who's been in a market for 30 years is going to know things I don't know. Right. Um, goes a long way to ingratiating yourself, to just, you know, and learning, learning to work with the photographers and the editors and, and all of the other people involved. Um, I, I think that's, that's probably the, that interpersonal skill that they can't teach you in school that you sort of have to learn by doing, but I think that's vitally important. Yeah, very, very well said. Um, you know, it, it kind of brings us to one thing I wanted to ask you about anyway, which is, um, so, you know, when, when you got to DC, you know, you're, you're relatively young, you just mentioned, and, and there were some people who were a little bit um, resentful of that, perhaps. But, um, you know, now, I, you know, actually, in literally the last episode of this podcast, we were talking about, um, 
uh, Angelica Spanos, who I interviewed, she is from the DC area and she, you know, says she'll go home and turn on the news there. And people are, are very young, like, like 22 years old or 23 or 24, like almost right out of school on, on the air as reporters. And, um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it feels like the industry is changing a little bit. So I, I don't know if, you know, whenever I bring that up, if, if I, you know, I'm just being a curmudgeon or, you know, it, it just, it definitely feels like there's, there's a change in a lot of big markets now where uh, people are, are quite young. Is, is that a good thing, a bad thing, or somewhere in between in your eyes? Well, it'd be, it would be pretty hypocritical of me to lament young people being given opportunities when I was that, right. that person at, at almost every level. Right. Um, so, you know, I think what has changed is the dynamics and the economics of television. Um, you, you, don't, you don't need now two or three people to put a reporter on the air. You can do it with a cell phone. And as, as equipment's gotten smaller, uh, it's, more, it's, more pop, it, it's easier for somebody to do it as a one-man band. I never had to do that, and I'm, I'm thankful of that. I, I certainly could pick up a camera. Uh, I, I knew how to edit and would edit an occasional piece, but didn't have to do that every day. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't think it is a bad thing that young people are getting opportunities. What concerns me is as the pay scale hasn't changed a whole lot in, in, in the last 15 years, um, as salaries in some places have come down, it gets harder for those mid-career or folks who, who would otherwise maybe be a 30-year reporter in a market to do that. And when you lose those voices from the marketplace, that's, that means that, that people maybe don't get held accountable the same way. And that I don't think is good. And th that continues to be uh, something that I think journalism in general is struggling with. Uh, you know, certainly the collapse of newspapers uh, is the same thing that's playing out over there in, in, in the print world um, in, in a much more severe way. Um, you know, fewer journalists mean fewer people asking questions, uh, fewer people holding officials accountable, fewer people digging for stories. And that I don't think is good. Um, I don't inherently a young person getting an opportunity. I think if they can, if they can do the job, um, th then they have every right to every right to do it. What I, what I want to see is a mix of experience uh, of, and I mean that not only in like age, but in life experience, in background, uh, I want to see some reporters that have been in the market for a long time who are the, you know, this is the guy that's been there forever guy. Uh, and I want to see some young people because what, what somebody in their mid, mid or late 20s may see as a story, I, as someone who is 40, may overlook. Or somebody who is 62 may overlook. And, by, and, and that's true the other way around. Somebody who has been in a market a long time might see something happen and go, that's not right. We need to look into that. Whereas somebody who's been in that market for a year and is sort of passing through could overlook it just because they don't know anybody. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point for sure. Now, I mean, diversity of thought and experience and all of that is important in a newsroom. I've been in newsrooms actually where it felt, frankly, too white. You know, there was a story about race that came up and everyone kind of said, oh, that's not a story. And I thought to myself, I kind of think it might be, um, you know, and, and in fact, if we had some different voices in here, I, I think they, they, they might agree. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, whether it's age or, or what have you, you know, it's, it's, it's important. And I, I would right. totally agree with, you know, the way you put that answer. Um, well, I think, I think at its fundamental, 
journalism should be a mirror that reflects the community back upon itself, which means we should reflect the community. Yeah. The community is not all older. It's not all younger. It's not all white. It's not all black. It's not all gay. It's not all straight. You know, it's, it's secular. It's religious. It needs to be a mix uh, so that you can have those conversations. And some, there are things that I don't think are stories that turn out to really be stories. And I would have overlooked that. Sure. So your everyday, you know, I think there's a lot of reporters. I've talked with you about this offline before, but, um, you know, I'd like to share some of this with the audience, uh, anyone who's listening. Um, what is your life like as a network news reporter, which is the broadest question in the world, but just, you know, in brief, walk us through your day to day, the average time that you wake up on a normal day, you know, what you do, what time you get to come home. Um, what equipment you're using, what responsibilities you have in terms of, are you doing a news package? Are you doing three important VOSOTs or, um, you know, how much you're traveling? Uh, do you get recognized? <laughs> this is like 30 questions in one, but you know, give us the uh, elevator thing of, of what life is like as a network news reporter. I'll, I'll try to get them all in there. Do, we, <laughs> do you want to like start a clock or something? Am I, am I on a timer here? <laughs> it's like a 80 um, story elevator. So you have, you have some time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't look at it as I, I don't know that I have a normal day. Uh, I don't really have a routine except that, you know, typically if it's a day like today where we had a piece on CBS this morning, I'm up around 5 AM in the office by six. Um, you know, typically what I've looked at when I go to bed the night before changes overnight, new details come in. So you, I'll go in at six. We'll lay the voice track down. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll go over whatever changes have happened overnight. Um, get into makeup, get to the live shot location. We do the live hit. Um, we, we typically will do something for CBSN, our streaming channel. Uh, if it's a breaking story or a big headline lead type story, we'll do something for CBS radio uh, as well. Uh, sometimes there'll be some affiliate live shot requests that we'll try to accommodate. Um, I then try to take a break for about an hour after uh, on, on a CBS this morning day and go to the gym. Be back in the office around 10 a.m. And by then, the uh, we're starting to get a sense for what, what the lineup for evening news is shaping up to be. Uh, and you start working your evening news day. Uh, today, we had an evening news piece, so uh, started working on that. We had script approval probably by five o'clock or so. I, I write probably. I write almost anything that we do for the evening news. Uh, I write most of CBS this morning with the caveat that if it happens after about nine or 10 o'clock, somebody else will start that because I've probably gone to bed. If I've got to be up at five the next morning. You work through evening news. I did my evening news live shot, uh, did a radio hit for one of our affiliates in the middle of the day, um, and, then, and then came home. Um, you know, I'll pay attention to what's going on a little bit on, on email this evening. And if obviously if something breaks and the phone rings, uh, we'll launch for it. Um, tomorrow, I don't, right now I don't have a CBS this morning hit. So I'll probably go into the office around 9.30, 10 o'clock. Try to go to the gym in the morning before work. And um, I'll work through evening news. So I'll be done about 7. And we'll see. There are some days where you start at 5 in the morning. You, you work through evening news. 
there's stuff going for the next morning. So you work on that till you till it's done, 9, 10, 11 o'clock, go to bed, sleep for a few hours, get up and do it again. Do you get recognized <laughs> in Washington, D.C.? You know, it's funny. I'll, if I get recognized in Washington, it's probably because they're a WJLA viewer. I, uh-huh. I think the, the difference is when you're, in, when you're on local news in a community, you're on every day at the same time, and that routine builds familiarity. With the network, I, I file pretty regularly by network standard, but I'm not on every day, and I'm not on at the same time every day. So, you know, I might file for CBS this morning 100 times a year, but that's basically one every four days, and that's assuming that you're watching when that piece is on. And so it's, it's a little bit different uh, getting recognized. I will get recognized some. I, I'm a beat correspondent. I cover transportation, aviation. So certain circles, like at, at an airport, I'm a little bit more likely to get not recognized. Doesn't happen a ton, but does happen. <laughs> I, you asked how often I travel. I'm gone about half the year. So I'm on airplanes a lot. I did 131 yeah. flights last year. Wow. Um, so like airline industry people might recognize me some. I've been doing this for a while now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't feel like I get, I feel like I got recognized more in my hometown when I was on local news than I do now. Interesting. That's interesting. I think a lot of, you know, younger reporters would actually find that quite surprising. You know, they think that, okay, you make it to the national level and, you know, you're, uh, you're a star. And, and, and I mean, you know, hey, uh, you are a star, but, um, you know, you're, you're, you just said it yourself. You're, you're recognized a little bit less, which is fascinating. Um, you know, it's funny. Well, I didn't I realize. Go ahead. No, I was saying I would, I would put a little spin on that. I think if I'm doing my job right, you shouldn't recognize me because it should be about the story. Like I didn't get sure. into television because I wanted to be recognized or I wanted to be a star. Right. I like telling stories and I like the immediacy of television. Um, you know, I'm not naive to the fact that I'm on television. So people sometimes will recognize me, but that's certainly not the goal. And my hope is that what you remember is, it, uh, is the work that goes along with my face, the stories that we're telling on any given day. That's a great attitude. Um, you know, it's funny, one thing I never realized, I guess, growing up was what a sort of like niche or niche, you know, thing and what a big deal like aviation and transportation is. I, I guess I'm not really phrasing this right, but I guess my point is like in the last five to seven years, there have been so many just gigantic transportation slash aviation stories, you know, whether it's something, God forbid, crashing, uh, you know, train crashes all over the world, or, you know, obviously plane crashes all over the world, um, disappearing planes, planes shot down um, over disputed territories and things of that nature. And then, of course, you know, uh, scandal and controversy such as the, uh, what is it, the MAX, I'm suddenly blanking, but the, you know, the, the, the Boeing, MAX. Yeah, 737 yep. MAX. So, I, you know, it's just interesting to me that, and maybe it was just because I was literally like a child or naive or whatever, you know, or younger. But, um, you know, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would say, well, how could someone specialize in, quote, aviation reporting? That seems so narrow. Um, and then, you know, now I see all of these people on Twitter and all over the place who are, you know, there's even like a hashtag. It's kind of like, is it Av Geek or something like that? You know, it's these people who are Av super. Geek, yeah. Yeah, Av Geek, yeah. A-V-G-E-E-K, who are like super into aviation. And um, I even have a friend who's not a reporter, who's like a self-proclaimed Av Geek. So 
I don't know how you become one, but people out there are that, and it's there's a pretty big audience for that sort of thing. Um, it, it is that how did you get into airplanes and aviation? Well, my father is a private pilot, so I grew up around planes. In fact, when I was very little, like still in a car seat, I we would we would go fly, and my dad had his Bonanza, it's a little single engine plane, and my mother will tell you that I would sit in the back seat, and as he's getting ready to ready to you know, turning on the plane and doing pre-flight and all of that. I'd be sitting in the back going up, up, dad, up, up. <laughs> so, you know, I grew up around planes. One. Um, I like, I, I personally like to travel. I like to go places and see new things. So you, if you travel a lot, you, you do sort of gain some kind of an affinity for the airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. At, at the very least, its ability to transport you to some faraway land in the course of the day, which is remarkable um, when you think about it. it. Defy gravity for some period of time, fly hundreds of miles an hour, and somehow land safely somewhere else. Um, it, well, and while I worked in Washington, we had a very bad uh, subway crash here, the, the Metro crash in 2009, the red line, uh, where two trains collided. Um, and so after that, I was the station's consumer investigative reporter. I spent a lot of time digging into how our metro system worked. So I had two kind of backgrounds in, in transportation. And my, one of my big supporters at CBS, a man by the name of Chris Licht, who is the executive producer of CBS this morning at the time and is now the executive producer of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, Chris was a big proponent of having me do transportation because he knew that I, I sort of had a, a basis, uh, a foundation of information, uh, foundation in the beat, and that I liked the aviation part. And that is so much of what we cover. It's probably 60% of the stories I do involve an airplane. So Chris was instrumental in me getting a tryout on this beat. And eight days into the tryout, Amtrak 188 derailed in Philadelphia. Jeez. Um, I having had covered a major train accident not that many years earlier um you know i had some insight into what we learned in that one and i certainly was familiar with the ntsb and the process and uh that week went you know we we we, i had a good week which is not to take away from the the tragedy of that accident where people lives were lost but um you know it was it was a moment that let me stand out and uh, CBS was 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 happy with our reporting, and we we did some good reporting that week, and um, that got my 30-day tryout became a 90-day tryout, became a 120-day tryout, and almost five years later, here we are. So uh, when I when I got this job, I had no idea it would be as busy as it's been. And to your point, yeah. you you just don't think there's that much stuff, and yet there is. Um, some of that is with the advent of the cell phone, data miner, and Twitter. Um, <laughs> things get out real fast, mm-hmm. and you know, a piece of good video is enough to justify a story some days, mm-hmm. and, and so on, on some outlets more than others. But it, it it has shown me even in years where you know there's just not a lot of story real estate because it's an election year or there's other big things happening. There is a keen interest in what happens, particularly on an airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've tried to take a, I've tried to take a larger 
view of what a transportation story is, similar to sort of how we viewed technology back when I worked at CyberGuy. It was not like, it wasn't just, we want to show you this cool new website. It was how technology can make people's lives better. I think with the transportation, the way that I've approached it is uh, a transportation story is, is a story that involves movement and how that impacts people's lives. So, yeah. you know, we've done some, some really powerful emotional stories about distracted driving, um, not because there was a breakthrough in distracted driving, but because that case was either there was something no so memorable about that case that it struck me and that I thought it was an important conversation that we should have. Sure. Um, in addition to, you know, the, the scare in the air stuff that we, that all of, all of the, the people on my beat do a little bit of, um, you know, and then do all the things like the 737 max where I think we filed 60 plus stories on that last year. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you, you're you're absolutely a you know expert of of some degree in, in a lot of these things. I think after uh, that level of coverage, you know, I mean, I know I think you know local news reporters do that on a daily basis. At least good ones, you know, walk in and don't know what they're going to cover, and then have to really get geared up and well read on something within a matter of hours. And, and at the end of the day, they're almost like a mini expert, I would call it. And 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 then yourself, you know, with something like the seven thirty seven max, I'm sure you could talk about that for hours and hours and hours, you know, based on, um, what you've, you know, read and covered and people you've talked to and sources and whatnot. Um, please don't make me. No, I, I'm going to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, we'll spare the listeners. Um, but, um, so, you know, again, I mean, I want to try to think of some things that people out there, you know, look, if they had a chance to sit down and talk with you or, you know, get a coffee with you, what they might ask you, especially younger reporters and anchors, in the business. Um, you know, so one thing that comes to mind is, um, if I try to put myself in, in their shoes is, um, just, you know, you, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but, um, in, in brief, what are, what are some of the biggest differences between, you know, being a local news reporter, like you were at WJLA and, and being a, a national network, uh, correspondent, um, in terms of, you know, what you can, even, even like what you have, you know, even, even minor things like what, what you have for lunch or, you know, what you, um, how you associate with your colleagues or, you know, I don't know, just, you know, anything you can talk about that, you know, for, from the minuscule to the, to the major things. Well, I think the biggest difference is the level of support that I have at the network compared to anything I had at local. Um, and I think one, and I'll, I'll say that, while at the same time noting that at every level of your career, it will always seem like there aren't enough resources. But okay. truly, the the amount of support um, that I can draw on at CBS compared to anything I, I did in local, it just doesn't compare. You know, if we are, we can turn a story for the evening news in, in as little as 40 minutes if we absolutely have to. Mm -hmm. um, and that mean, then that will be because there'll be somebody or sometimes more than one person helping log interviews as they come in. Um, you, know, you have an editor who's starting to edit while I'm trying to fly, you know, quickly put together some track. There's a senior producer who's, who's standing by to make sure that we're, we're not saying anything that's inaccurate. Uh, and, and so it can become a very big team very quickly um, in a way that local news just isn't, you know, local mm -hmm. news, it's, for me, when I was doing it, it was me and a photographer in a car with a laptop or 
at one point a tape to tape deck, uh, slapping together a piece and trying to make slot, uh, make our hit time. Uh, so the, the amount of support we can have, uh, I think is the biggest immediate difference. Um, the coolest part I think of being at the network is the ability to go to wherever the story is. Yeah. You know, in local news, there'd be a story and you'd be like, God, if we could only go two hours away. Well, you know, if the story we're telling is in California, I can get on a plane and I can go to California. Um, you know, we, we went on, we were on the first U.S. airliner to schedule a commercial airline flight to Cuba uh, because that's where the story was. Um, we went to Singapore for a CBS Sunday morning story because that's where the story was. Yeah. The ability to do that is just really cool. Yeah, that's um, awesome. I think one thing that you, that nobody tells you about being a network correspondent is, is the job can be a lot lonelier than you think it is. Like, mm -hmm. because we are often launching and arriving and you, uh, you sometimes you're parachuting into things, it's a lot of time spent, like, in a car going to the airport by myself, getting on a plane by myself, getting to a story. We meet up, we do our story, we do our journalism thing. Uh, maybe we grab dinner. I go, you go to the hotel. You know, there's a lot of time where you're sort of on your own. Whereas in local, certainly when I, I had a photographer, so it would always be at least two of us in the car. Mm -hmm. I would imagine an MMJ that works by themselves, a one-man band, might feel, the same, might feel similar to how I do, which is there are times where you, you kind of feel like you're in a bit of a vacuum you know, you out there. Yeah. Um, I think differences, uh, things that stand out, you know, uh, you know, it is, um, the other thing is like, I don't see my reporter colleagues, my corresponding colleagues all that often outside of the ones that are in my bureau. Mm. Uh, I, I went to college with our Miami correspondent, Manny Bohorquez, great reporter, great guy, uh, known him for years. Very rarely will we ever be in the same place at the same time, almost kind of by design. Yeah. Um, David Begno is a good friend of mine, one of our correspondents. Mm -hmm. um, it's rare that David and I are in the same city at the same time, just because of the nature of the job. Um, so when you, when you do have those moments, it's like a family reunion almost. <laughs> uh, but you, unlike working in local TV where, you, where you're going to run into the reporters that you work with all the time, we really don't see each other a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, was, that was one of the things that sort of, that sort of surprised me too. Sure. Um, the great thing is you get people that you really like and care about all over the country. So, you know, I, I, we're going to have a shootout in Los Angeles. Um, I, I hope to have dinner with Jamie Ucas or Jonathan Vigliotti, some of our LA people while I'm there one night, uh, if we can get the count, if the calendar works out right. And that's kind of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, I've often wondered about that. Um, you know, not that uh, my career, you know, led me close to, you know, anywhere near a national reporting gig, but um, it was something I aspired to at one point. And I often wondered, um, in my mind, you know, if, if how lonely that might be for, for someone like myself. Um, but, uh, you know, that's something that definitely crossed my mind. But, you know, the way you explained it makes sense. And obviously, there's uh, pros and cons of, of various things. That it, um, but uh, one thing I did want to move on to um, was um, if, if you've ever, ha have you ever had any critics in, in your career? Uh, you know, whether it's 
some random viewer or you yeah. know an oh, assistant news director who you didn't jive with or you know can you can you just tell a couple short stories about about that and how you how you overcame it or dealt with it sure you you noted earlier that you think that my style sort of involves coloring outside the line <laughs> yeah yeah i have i color outside the line i um unapologetically don't necessarily follow every rule that I think is dumb. So I have certainly butted heads with, with people uh, professionally along the way. Um, and I've always kind of been okay with that. So uh, I, I've had critics that have been, you know, I've had assistant news directors that don't like me very much. Some of them I kind of won over in the end. Some didn't like me very much, and you figure out how to work around them. Um, I'm a big believer in, particularly in my reporting style, in being authentic. I'm going to mm -hmm. write how I talk, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to do do journalism the way that I know how to do it. Um, and sometimes that means I maybe don't exactly fit the mold, and that's been okay with me. Um, so there's been, that, there's been that kind of critic, like, you know, why can't you just walk in this line? Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, I don't always want to walk in the line. And I, I've been okay with that. And I think you sort of have to find your own level of comfort zone with that. Um, you know, I do my job right now differently than previous CBS News Transportation correspondents. So I think for my managers who have had, one of whom, you know, used to be the transportation producer, Hmm. Um, there was an adjustment period for, for them to kind of get used to my style of how I wanted to do it. What, what are, uh, sorry to I cut want, you, or go ahead. Yeah, yeah go, ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, no, just, just, just while we're on it real quick, I mean, you know, uh, very briefly, what are the, what are like the key ways that the way you do it is, is different than some of your predecessors in that role? Uh, well, I think I have pushed to be out in the field, to be on the road, to be going to stories. Uh, perhaps more so than, than than some of my predecessors. I think the this uh, I think the beat has changed. I think the level of interest has changed. You know, as aviation's gotten safer, um, there are fewer plane crashes to go to. So, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, planes crashed a lot more often, mm. and that was kind of the job. You'd go to two or three commercial airline crashes a year, uh, and you know, as you reported those out, that was a big part of the job. Well planes don't crash very often anymore. And that's a really amazing thing. Uh, but it also means that um, we're telling different kinds of stories now than we were before. And some of those are going to be um, um, some of those are going to be stories about emerging technologies or um, you know, about workers who are who whose jobs are at risk now that the 737 max has been grounded um we're gonna we're gonna i'm just gonna find stories that are maybe not the the like breaking news the spot news um and that means we're gonna be gone more. Uh, and, I, and it's just it's just a little different than how uh how my predecessors and i think how my competitors at the other networks have decided to cover this beat yeah that's absolutely um, interesting. Yeah. I mean that, you know, that's, uh, that's a good answer. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I like how you, you know, just talked about the, the reality of, you know, times changing and safety of, you know, aviation and whatnot and how that, 
you know, has led to uh, a different style in the, in the way that you choose to, to operate in that, in that role. Um, this is a random question, um, but have you ever been arrested while you were on the job reporting or come close to being arrested? Uh, I've been threatened with arrest. I've not been arrested. Um, I remember during covering Ferguson, uh, I think it was a county police officer threatened to arrest us for, I think being on a, being on a public street or some sidewalk. And I, I just finally like, that was a particularly tense experience with law enforcement, uh, Ferguson, like everybody mm-hmm. was just angry. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, I called his bluff. I was like, I mean, I don't know what you're going to arrest me for. Um, uh, but you know, if you want to go down that road, I'm a CBS correspondent and we'll, we'll see how that works out, sir. Um, but no, I mean, I think there is a line you have to learn to walk, um, between, cause if you get arrested, you're no longer covering the story. So you're no longer serving right. your viewers. Right. So if you're going to get arrested, it better be for a really, really good reason. And that, because you're taking yourself out of whatever you're there to do. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe that's your hill to die on. I haven't been in a circumstance where I felt like that was the hill to die on. I felt like that would start, that would make me the story. Right. And that's not what I was there for. I wasn't in Ferguson to get arrested. But I also wasn't going to have the police push us around and tell us we can't cover the story or can't be places I know we can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a great example. Know. I mean, I've been in situations less high profile than obviously Ferguson, but um, you know, very, very similar situations. I think most reporters have where you know, sort of a rogue police officer just sort of on the side of a, a police line says, "Hey, you, you got you can't be there," and it's like you know. Meanwhile, there's members of the public you know strolling down that sidewalk, and you're thinking well, that seems like a double standard or, you know, there literally cannot be a reason why, you know, legally I should not be able to be here and you have to decide, you know, am I going to argue with this, this officer? Am I going to move? Am I going to, you know, you, you have several options there or, or, you know, you go to a, I've gone to meetings, you know, I think a lot of reporters have gone to a public meeting and then you get there and someone says, no, you got to leave, you know, and I've had public officials say that and it's like, no, it's, it's a public meeting, you know? So, you know, there are those moments and you really do have to act, you know, quickly on your feet and decide, you know, like you said, do you, do you die on that hill? Do you, do you risk arrest, um, uh, you know, or, or not? And, and it is sort of a very fine line, I think, of, you know, what is doing the best service to journalism and your viewers and, and all, of those, all of those things combined. Now, I remember when I was in San Diego, we had a morning where it was some kind of a standoff with police. And this cop came over and said, you've got to move, you're in the line of fire. Mm. And I was like, well, but there's like six or seven of you guys just kind of milling around. <laughs> so uh, why am I in the line of fire and you're not? Yeah. Like you, none of you guys look concerned. So if you're all comfortable with this risk, so am I. And, you know, but if you want to tell me what's going on, uh, I would love to talk to you. And what was and his response sudden, we were no to longer in, we Suddenly we were no longer in the line of fire because he walked away. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, so like, I think you got to kind of gut check, like how much of this, how much of this authority do you want to question? Mm-hmm. I don't have an issue with questioning authority. If I think it's wrong, um, you try to do it respectfully because again, me ending up in handcuffs really only means that 
I'm in a lot of trouble and I am no longer serving my viewers. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, there are gray areas too, where, you know, sometimes police have the discretion to say, okay, this is, you know, this is a crime zone or this is a very dangerous area uh, where public safety is in jeopardy. And, you know, so, I mean, there's a little bit of discretion there, you know, it's especially when there's a, like an active scene and, you know, those laws can actually vary, I think by jurisdiction. And so there, there is some gray zone, but um, you know, I was just curious if, if you, if it had ever, had ever uh, come to that for you, but I figured there were definitely some situations where it came close, you know, most uh, strong reporters, you know, have a situation like that. Um, yeah. I don't think anyone's ever had like the handcuffs in their hands. Yeah. Sure. You know? sure. Like I don't right. think it's gotten to that no, point. No, yeah. Um, I, I have certainly engaged in a spirited conversation <laughs> with authority figures about access. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes you're doing that because you need to buy some time to get the elements you need before the inevitable right, you right. have to leave is going to happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a tap dance. I mean, I, I always try to approach this, that um, in most circumstances, the, the police or the first responders and I are not, do not need to be in conflict. We're not competing with each other. We're not, they, it's not, doesn't need to be adversarial. They've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. And there's plenty of room for us to both do it. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly if it, you're going to be mindful of things like if it's a SWAT standoff and you don't you're not going to give away a position of the police on live television or something like that, that puts people in danger. That's an obvious, obvious caveat, but you know, I think, I think there's typically enough room for everybody to work and do their job. Yeah. Um, all right. So work, I don't want to take up, I want to be mindful of your time and, and you probably have to get to, to sleep soon. Um, but, um, just real quick, um, you know, if, if, a, if a young, you know, this question comes up, I mean, you know, there's people who are, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, who, you know, maybe you're majoring in journalism, or they're interested in working in a newspaper or a TV station. And, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's kind of a tough time to, to be angling for that, um, especially newspaper, obviously, but um, even even local TV. Um, and it's very different than it was, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. So I've heard people in the industry, uh, TV who will say, Oh man, run the other way, you know, don't get into this or, you know, they're, they're very like jaded or they, you know, and I don't know if they're saying it as like a kind of a joke or an ego thing or what, but they'll say that. Um, and then there's other people who say, no, no, just, you know, get an internship. And it's kind of like all rose colored glasses. Like it'll be fine. Uh, You know, where do you land on that? I mean, meaning like when, when a 19 year old who, you know, wants to be a TV reporter asks you for advice, I mean, are you, are you telling them to stray away from the industry or just telling them, you know, the reality or how do you handle that? You know, I have been incredibly fortunate that I have gotten to do really the one thing I've always wanted to do now uh, for almost 20 years and have been supported and helped by people who didn't need to make time to do it, whether it was Ross Becker or Chris Licht or, Craig Hume, who, who's a, a well-respected news director in television. Um, I had people at every level of my career um, go out of their way to help me get better. Uh, my colleagues at, at, at WJLA, Josie Sturman, who I know you've had on your podcast, um, Jay Korf, who's one of the best writers in TV, uh, people who helped me get better because they loved the craft and they wanted to see people do well. So I'm really, I have I'm really fortunate. I, I work at the network that I remember sitting in journalism school, watching the broadcasts pop up and go, 
if I could only one day be a correspondent on the CBS Evening News. Um, I've gotten to work with some of my journalistic heroes, people like Scott Pelley. Um, so I've been really fortunate. And if I can do it, I'm convinced other people can too. So the very last thing I'm ever going to tell somebody is to run away like their hair's on fire. Um, you know, I think that if, if you have a passion, you want to try this, do it. You know, just because you may not do it forever. You may not be a, somebody who decides to be a reporter for 20 or 30 years. Uh, I'm fortunate that I'm in a position where I might get to do that. I might get to spend my whole career being a journalist. Um, but it's okay if you don't. One of my good friends in television who came into the business about the same time I did uh, moved over to, to corporate communications and is living a, living a great life doing corporate communications. And he'll tell you that the skills he learned as a reporter have made him really good at that because he can work on a deadline quickly. He can write clearly. He can make decisions quickly. Those things that journalists sort of take for granted because of our deadline structure. Mm -hmm. um, so I would tell somebody to, if you want to do this, give it a try. Um, I would say seek out mentors. I've been amazed at every level how willing people have been to help me. You know, when I became JL, WJLA's consumer investigative reporter, I didn't really have a whole lot of investigative experience. <laughs> uh, I, I went to IRE, uh, and people went out of their way to try to be helpful. And that, you know, Cindy Galley, who, uh, who's, at, who's at ABC, now I guess she's the competition, but at the time, um, <laughs> but, you know, you know, Cindy, um, Tisha Thompson, who was my actual competition. Yeah, um, I know. They're, they're both helpful. incredible. They're both incredibly helpful um, and kind as well. Yeah. So, so I would say if you want to do it, you should absolutely try it. Uh, I would say find mentors and hold on to them. And don't be afraid to ask somebody for input. Um, you know, if somebody sends me a tape, I try to look at it. Mm -hmm. I guess they send links now. They don't send tapes. But yeah, right. Um, <laughs> You know, and I'll, I'll try to give you some feedback. Uh, and I think a lot of people in this business will do that. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, um, people, people will, people will. It's incredible, you know, 99%. And I mean, obviously, you know, uh, you and I know that I, I've uh, in the past sent you uh, scripts, you know, through, through uh, my Gmail account. And, you know, you've uh, yeah. line by line read through them and honestly taken, you know, stories I had that were seven minutes long and <laughs> helped me get them down to 320, which is still probably too long for many news directors, but, uh, you know, I, I will and always appreciate that. And, and, you know, I, I occasionally get contacted by, uh, younger journalists and, and try to pass that on, you know, and it's, it's, it's a big circle, I think, and you can't break that circle. So it, it is amazing. Um, well, that's, that's great, you know, great attitude. And I love that spirit of, you know, not turning anybody away. And I feel the same way. I mean, if, if the passion is there, then you should try it because you'll never know, you know, if you didn't try it and, um, you know, the industry changes, but every industry is, is changing and changes. And, you know, uh, there, there will people will be hungry to know what's going on in the world and they'll need good writers and, you know, trustworthy people and, and uh, hard workers to, to tell them. So in whatever format that is. So uh, real quick on, on CBSN, um, that's the streaming service and it, it's free, right? You can actually watch it for free. You don't have to have any sort of subscription. That's correct. So CBSN is our digital streaming channel. Um, if you have the CBS News app, you have CBSN. If you have Apple TV, you have CBSN. You don't have to log in. You don't have to subscribe. Uh, you open up the CBS News app. You, you hit the live button. You'll be watching CBSN. 
Now, does AB, do ABC um, and NBC have the same exact thing? Like a, uh, like a, well, if CBS has, CBSN has been in this space for about five years. Um, ABC and NBC are, are launching competing channels that are similar but different. Uh, you know, I, I would like to believe that ours is better. I, obviously, I've got a little bit of a bias. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would like to believe ours is better. Uh, it's a very it's it's a very robust channel. Um, they they have an original team that's doing original documentaries, uh, as well as uh, you know bringing you CBS news reporting all around the world, um, at a place that that you know it's what it's kind of what I think it's kind of doing is filling the void that cable news has left, whereas now cable news is is just a a seemingly unending series of panel discussions. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, we're not doing we're not doing opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We've got some. We've got a political hour where they're talking about the the issues of the day. But for the most part, we're not giving you opinion. We're not giving you a spin. We're not yelling at you. It's just the news throughout the day. Very good. And and in, in I, a very CBS way. Yeah. But yeah. that you can stream on your phone. Yeah, I mean, and what I wanted to lead into is, I mean, CBS, you know, obviously still has the, the um, what's the word, like, you know, legacy, like, you know, cable TV network, uh, you know, CBS Evening mm-hmm. News, you know, on, on regular old-fashioned TV, but then there's CBSN as well, you said for the last five years, it's, it's sort of like feels like a hedge to me, like, okay, so we, you know, we know, we don't know exactly what's coming in the future, but we're going to be prepared either way, so we kind of have both, um, you know, in your eyes, where where do you see this going? And by this, I mean, you know, more and more people cutting cable or, you know, getting rid of their television or just watching online only. Um, do you see the two eventually merging or is that naive or, you know, any, any predictions you can offer on, on where you see this in, in five or 10 years? Well, I think, I think the future is reaching the audience that wants to consume news on whatever platform they want to consume it on. You know, I don't think people are going to stop watching big sporting events on large televisions because it's a better way to watch the Super Bowl than on the screen of my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, that may not be the case with news. I, I mean, I, people commute to work on the subway or the bus, or they want to be able to see what's going on. They're getting a lot of news on their phones already. So we need to be giving you content there that you can consume there. And as other platforms emerge, um, you know, Quibi is going to launch later this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that may be a new platform to reach viewers. We'll see. But we're going to have a presence there. Um, so we, we just have to do, continue to innovate and continue to go to where the audience is. The days of people coming to us when there were three broadcast networks so you kind of had to come to us. So, so we need to, one, know who we are and live our brand, which is original reporting, telling you, the, telling you the, 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 not only the news that you're getting on your push alerts, but the things that are important that maybe you, you haven't heard today, um, those things that we have discovered, those things that we can tell you that other people can't, we need to keep doing that. We need to be pushing it to you in whatever format you're going to consume it and figuring that out because the way my parents consume news is different than the way I consume news and different than the way a 25 year old consumes news. 
And it's going to be different than how people consume news 10 years from now. I don't think the television landscape is going to go away. Obviously, television and streaming, television and the internet are merging based on, you know, how much television do you watch that you're, that you're actually streaming through Netflix or Hulu or CBS All Access? Um, it's a lot of it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a matter of being, being where the audience is and, and giving them the content in a way that can be consumed there. And that, that's going to be, that's going to continue to evolve. We don't do television the way we did it 20 years ago. Um, so I would think 20 years from now, we're not going to do news the way we do it now. Right. The fundamentals will still be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the who, what, where, when, why, how. Yeah. People are still going to want to know what's going on in their communities. And people are still going to want somebody to hold the powerful accountable, to be the voice for the voiceless, all those things that we should be doing on a daily basis. I don't think that goes away. How we reach the audience, that's just going to keep continuing to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, all right. So we'll just, we'll finish with, um, if, if, if you have a little, little bit more time with just these rapid fire questions, which I, I end a lot of the episodes with where I just, I just spit out these questions at you and you kind of just try to answer off the top of your head, very short, uh, quick answers. This is just kind of fun stuff for people to, you know, add a little bit of color to Chris Van Cleve, you know, get to know you a little bit better. So, um, Oh Lord. <laughs> so, uh, all right, here we go. These are some new ones actually. So I'm excited for this. Um, cause I, I tend to use the same ones over and over, but, uh, so what's, what's your favorite thing in your closet right now? Maybe favorite new, thing in my closet right yeah, now? Yeah, like a new shirt uh, or jacket or pair of mm-hmm. shoes or... I, I love hats. So I have a closet full of baseball hats. Mm-hmm. My, so my, my current favorite baseball hat will be, uh, there's two. It's the Washington Nationals World Series champion hat. And uh, I had this, uh, this black baseball hat that's got the... the Washington DC city map on it. Very it's just cool. sort of a fun conversation piece. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Actually a quick, sorry, a quick note on clothing. I, I actually still remember the first day I, uh, I met you at, at our IRE. And uh, I think you, you were at this panel when and Gio Benitez was there and uh, a few other folks were there. Um, I think uh, Jeff Terrico was there. Um, but uh in any case, I, I remember what struck me is that a lot of us had on like slacks, you know, like dress pants and like a tucked in dress shirt or a tie. Some people had on full suits, dress shoes. And I saw you there and you had on, I didn't know who you were. I had no idea. And you had on jeans and I think like, it wasn't sandals, but it was kind of like, you know, like a, like a low top, uh, not like a skateboard shoe, but yeah, just something comfortable. And then kind of like a, like a flannel shirt, like almost like, uh, you know, pearl, pearl snap buttons or something to that effect and I thought this guy is you know very casual but also very confident you know in in who he is and I think you had some great answer during the panel or asked a really you know tough question to the presenter that was respectful but anyway it was just it always struck me and it kind of like reminded me of almost like a uh, metaphor for your reporting in a way just because it was like this sort of again you know kind of coloring outside the lines uh, the co- the confidence you had that like yeah I'm, I'm not gonna you know I, this is a conference I'm I'm off I'm not working and you know, I don't need to be here in a full suit um, type of thing. I'm off air. So anyway, that's a little side story about Chris uh, for those listening. But um, anyway, do you, uh, do you have any pets? I don't. I desperately want a dog. 
And if I could figure out a way to have a dog and travel the way I do, that wouldn't require, you know, a second mortgage right. in dog walkers. Right. I would do that. Yeah. I figure, right. If it, with the travel, I kind of figured it, I kind of like had a hunch as to <laughs> the answer to that. Uh, what's your favorite movie but I ever? Am a, I am a huge dog person. Okay, cool. To, Very to, good. To, as to, am to, I. To, yep. What is your uh, favorite movie uh, of all time? Oh, I don't know if you can pick one. Um, I, or three, uh, top three. Okay, okay. Um, LA Confidential is a favorite. Um, it's well acted. It's, uh, it's a bit of a film noir. It's sort of set in like golden age of Los Angeles. I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, I mean, I think everyone who, who grew up when I did is a fan of Top Gun. Um, just because it's fun. And yeah. Um, you know, and, and then I think, oh, what, what would be the third? Um, you know, I think, um, I'm going to think about that while we continue this rapid fire. I'll see if I can get you a third one. I think, I think you told me at one point years ago that you really liked uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop, right? Did, no. Did you, that was one no, of your favorite. No. no. Okay. No, no, I did not tell you that. I do, I do like a good cop movie, though. Um, okay. Whether that's like Bad Boys or Heat, right? Um, which would be like two kind of classic, yeah. Uh, in my, my vintage, I do like a good cop movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, describe yourself uh, from when you were a teenager using three words. Uh, <laughs> me as a teenager, uh, driven, awkward. Uh, maybe a little petulant. Love it. Um, what is your biggest pet peeve? Mm. You're like, can I, can I name 10? <laughs> <laughs> um, my biggest pet peeve. People who have conversations in doorways. Oh, like they'll stop in the middle of walking. I know it's a random one. Yeah. Stopping in the middle of a doorway or at the top of stairs <laughs> to like chat. And like blocking the way. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, dark chocolate or milk chocolate or neither? Dark chocolate. Dark okay. chocolate. Very good. Um, if you could be from any other decade or era, which would it be? Oh. Um. That's a real good question. I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, you could be like a knight in the medieval times. You could be in the yeah, 1950s. Yeah, but your life expectancy was like 30 years. <laughs> right, right. Well, maybe there are a good 30 years, but yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think folks who grew up in the 50s, you, you were coming out of World War II. So you, you did have this, uh, the, at least history sort of tells you that you had this, uh, um, you know, the, the future is bright and uh, anything is possible. We're going to go to the moon and, and that would have been cool. But, you know, I think we're living in a pretty great era. It's got its challenges for sure. But um, I, I don't know that I would pick another one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it'd that. be fascinating to, to, to be present for some mo certain moments in history. Right. But I, I think I'd kind of like to pop in and not maybe be a resident. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, back to the future. If this, if this were a uh, next question, if this were, <laughs> if there was a magical um, situation, a, a bad situation where you had a lifetime, essentially non-compete clause with journalism that started tomorrow, which would be horrible, meaning you could never be a reporter again, and you had to pivot and switch careers, what would you be doing? Well, um, when I was younger, I thought very hard about becoming a police officer when I was in college. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know what the market is for a 40-year-old rookie police officer, other than it, I think it's a show on ABC right now. I was now. about to say, it's a, um, it's a show on, on uh, one of the networks. Yeah, the rookie. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that would be the direction I would go. Um, you know, I have, I've been putting off learning to fly. So maybe it would be time to go do that. Yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, very good. If your house, uh, your house or apartment or condo, whatever you live in currently was on fire, God forbid, uh, and you can only run in and grab two things, what would you run back in to get? Uh, well, I would probably grab my laptop because all of my photos are actually, you know what? They're in the cloud now. So I might answer that differently. Um, you know, there, there are some, there, there are uh, some, some original family photos that are around the house that I would grab. Um, most everything else is stuff and can be replaced. Um, so I think there, there are some photos of, of me and my parents when I was little that I, I don't know that we have a backup of. Um, there's a, a, a music box that was my grandmother's um, that I've always been super fond of um, that I would be tempted to grab. Um, Hmm. No, those are, those are some good answers. So definitely, you know, the sentimental and, and family and, and personal things that can't be replaced. Um, yeah, I think it, you learn that. And when, when you look yeah. at these, like when you cover some brush fires and things, the things that people most want to grab mm -hmm. are, are the things that you, you absolutely can't replace. The, so it would be the, 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 the one thing I have from my grandmother uh, on each side. It would be, you know, my, my grandfather's cufflinks. Um, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, getting towards the end. Um, like five questions left, five or six. Um, who? <laughs> let's say that you're. These are fun. Uh, let's let's say that twenty years from now, you know, you keep breaking big stories, and uh, you, you have a pretty pretty legendary reporting career. Or forty years from now, whatever. Uh, who would play you in the movie of your life? Or who would you want to play you in the movie about your life? Hmm. Uh, someone considerably better looking and far more likable. <laughs> um, Anyone come to mind? Hmm. You can, you can always pass. You can always pass. Um, or we'll yeah, come I'm back pass to it. On that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, iPhone or Android? iPhone. If you had a spirit animal, what would it be? Probably a pit bull. Ooh, I like it. Um, I actually have some, speaking of cufflinks, I have some pit bull, uh, or no, actually they're not pit bull. They're, uh, they're English bulldog, but still he's red. So they're, they're pretty, pretty badass cufflinks. <laughs> um, I used to like those when I was going into report because um, they're kind of subtle, but also, you know, stand out. Um, what's your favorite? Well, here, I'll put it as this. Um, is there any uh, fictional show that you're streaming right now or recently that you liked? Um, 
I can be a bit of a nerd. I'm enjoying Star Trek Picard. Okay. And CBS All Access. Um, I still like a good cop show. So Bosch, I'm a, I'm a fan of on Amazon. Okay. I've not seen um, that yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually, uh, I know exactly what show that is. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I saw the previews. And I like that one because it's shot a lot on location in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you get it. It has a, has a bit of a, a grit to it that I like. Nice. Um, do you have any tattoos? No. What is the, uh, the favorite thing? You know, it could be a tool, an outfit. You already named the hats, but what, what's the favorite purchase you've made in the, in the last year or so? Uh, favorite purchase you've made that was $100 or less? You know, something useful or just something you've really enjoyed, whether it's in the kitchen or for reporting or personal, you know, whatever. I came across a old CBS mic flag. Mm. And for, for folks who don't do TV, that's the logo that goes on the microphone. Um, and I, I picked up some mic flags over the years, but uh, this is one that, you know, on one, on two sides, it's the CBS eye on two sides. It's, it's, it's a CBS. I think it's an old CBS sports mic flag from the probably the eighties. Yeah. Um, so it's been a nice addition to my, my little collection. And you, you purchased, was that like an eBay find or. I found it. Yeah, I did. I found it on eBay. Um, nice. cause I, I wanted, I wanted a CBS. We don't really have those network, but uh-huh. it was one of those things that sort of came across while, um, wasting time on the internet. Sure. Sure. Um, was quite happy with, with finding it. All right, um, and uh, stick mic or lav mic? Uh, you know, when I was in local, I preferred the stick mic uh, because uh, I have a tendency to talk with my hands, and if you're doing a lot of, like, a prolonged live shot, it, it sort of tones that down a bit. Uh, we don't really use those at the network, so uh, begrudgingly, I've become a lav person. Got it. Comprehensive answer. Like it. Um, mm-hmm. all right, Chris, we're going to, um, leave it there. The, the, actually, I guess the real final answer is just, um, you know, for people who want to, um, follow your reporting and, and your career, uh, what are your social media handles? Where can people, where's the best place for people to find you, uh, online or on social media? Uh, it's Twitter or Instagram is at Chris Van Cleave, Chris with a K, V-A-N-C-L-E-A-V-E, Chris Van Cleave. Um, so if you can, uh, you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram. Um, if you, if you like airplane news, um, give, give me a follow. If, uh, <laughs> if you don't, don't, don't follow me. <laughs> just, just stay away. <laughs> just stay away. Turn and run like your hair's on fire. Okay. All right. Well, exactly. Hey, uh, I appreciate this very much. I'm very honored to, uh, have this much of your time and have you as a guest. Um, and, uh, oh, it's, it's my pleasure. No, thank you so much. Um, and, and again, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a few years, so uh, hopefully we'll cross paths in person again soon. But uh, until then, um, have a great night and uh, have, a, have a good uh, good day on the grind tomorrow. Thank you. It's been fun. All right, Chris. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.